Hello and welcome to It's KO to be Dyslexic, the podcast not only about dyslexia, but also around well-being and mental health around dyslexia and learning disabilities. Remember, you can share your stories and get involved by emailing me, Kirsty, at kirsty.lnickel at gmail.com. And remember, that's nickel, N-I-C-O-L. So in this episode, I am joined with Jenna Lee, who I've known for a little while now. And I was really keen to get her onto the podcast because one, she was really keen to join me and two, she's also a teacher and has had some experiences around dyslexia. Now, a bit of a dyslexic disclaimer like um, we did with my dad in the previous episode, Jenna is not a dyslexic specialist. She's very passionate about dyslexia and has a lot of experiences. And within this podcast, all the views and things we speak about are her own and her own experiences. So this isn't going to be obviously all teachers' experiences. Um, we oh, I just absolutely love speaking with her, and I'm looking forward to having her again on on the podcast. If there was anything that came up in the podcast episode or anything that you would like us to discuss more of or you would like to be involved with It's KO to be Dyslexic, then please get in touch via my Instagram at the Dyslexic Yogi or you're welcome to drop me an email on kirsty.lnickel at gmail.com. But for now, here's the episode. Enjoy. So, would you like to introduce yourself to uh, the It's KO to be Dyslexic listeners? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, and thank you so much for having me on. I know it's something that we've been talking about um, for so long, so it's nice to finally be able to do it. Excited to um, hear. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Um, so, my name is Jenna, um, and my interest or my background in dyslexia um, is as a primary school teacher. Um, although now I refer to myself more as a multi-hyphen educator um, because I still work within education but just not focused solely on a school setting. Um, I'll disclaimer now, um, I now have two dogs rather than just Milo. Um, I distracted them with dog chews <laughs> but we've been talking <laughs> before we started recording so there might be like baby elephants coming up the stairs and interrupting but no they're fine. Um, so, yeah, no, we have been talking for a while for you to come on. Um, mm. I feel like you were one of the first people to give me feedback when I put the first episode oh, out, which was really <laughs> nice. Um, nice, it was nerve-wracking, but it was... And I think it meant more to someone who kind of got it. Yeah. Who was in the education system and also kind of understood what dyslexia was. Because, to be honest, one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is I don't still really understand what it is. Mm. I understand my experience of it and how it feels for me and how it feels dealing with other people in new situations and reading mm. and writing. But I don't really know the sort of, what do you call it, the umbrella or the kind of the... Yeah, like the theory. Yeah, behind, behind it. all. Which, yeah. which I'm hoping eventually to discover more through talking through people like yourselves and yeah. other people. It sounds like you've got quite a lot of interesting colleagues that I need to get in touch yes. with as well. Yeah. Um, so, but 
what, when in the first episode I said that I didn't just want um, actually funny enough I don't think I've had anyone dyslexic on yet <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to hear other people's experiences around dyslexia um, and I feel like you probably told me about it before I even brought out the podcast about yeah. your experience being a teacher and mm-hmm. so would you kind of like tell people your experiences around dyslexia and why you're interested in yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I started my teaching journey, um, the school that I was going to be um, teaching at once I'd qualified, um, I actually, once I'd finished uni, did a post as a learning support assistant. Um, so that was working with a young man with autism at the time. Um, and that's really where my interest in working uh, on a one-to-one really with children with special needs started um, and probably what I found quite challenging then going into the classroom where you've got 30 children all with their own emotional needs academic needs um, I then found that quite challenging because I'd had this time to kind of dedicate and focus on one child and then suddenly I'd got 30 children and um, it was probably a challenge that I hadn't really thought about in advance um so but it kind of remained something that I was always really passionate about was working with those children and that had got additional needs and and trying to make the classroom and learning accessible for them um to help them academically but I think emotionally has always been something I've been really aware of Mm -hmm. um and that my work has probably more gone towards the kind of emotional support for children um as opposed to just the academic and learning support um, so I worked at that school for three years um, and it was in quite a deprived area okay. um, and um, lots of different, as I said, lots of different learning needs, lots of different emotional needs. Um, so although I do remember having training on dyslexia, mm-hmm. um, it was only at surface level because there was so much that we needed to cover and so many needs within the school that we couldn't really go kind of in depth with one particular learning need, if that makes sense. No, 100%. Um, so I think probably I would say at university, you do talk about special educational needs, but you don't do any in-depth lectures. Or when I trained, you didn't do any you know, specific training on dyslexia. Um, which I think now, I think I mentioned to you the other day, there was a quote that I saw that said, one in three children, I think it was, in the classroom will have dyslexia and only one in 10 teachers know um, how to kind of um, support children or understand what dyslexia is. Um, it's a really scary yeah. statistic. Yeah. I didn't think that was going to come out of my mouth. When you put it like that, it'd be interesting to speak to someone training as a teacher now to yes. see whether it has changed at all. Yeah, um, um, but it's yeah. So I think and and like reflecting back, that is that that statistic really rings true to me that. I'd probably got children then in my class that were dyslexic, but I wasn't able to identify it at that point. So, of course, I wasn't able to support them. Um, And I think it kind of goes back to something that you said about being you, that you were sat on the table with, and you were very aware that... The dumps table, yeah. Uh, (laughs) And I think that's a whole debate in education, is whether you do uh, mixed ability or whether you do group according to ability, Um, which obviously for dyslexia could be really damaging because although you may struggle with the reading and writing element of things, that mm-hmm. IQ-wise, um, people with dyslexia are often equally as capable as the peers, if not quite often more capable in many areas. Right. So um, 
so yeah, I, I can relate to that statistic that early in my career that I probably didn't know enough about spotting um, dyslexic traits or being able to support learners with dyslexia. Um, the school that I then moved to um, was a dyslexia-friendly school, um, which is where schools can do all sorts of awards. They can do kind of arts awards, um, but this particular one is where you have to put certain provision into place. You have to do additional training um, to 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 get an accreditation sort of an award um to state that you are a dyslexia friendly school um and that's probably really when my knowledge in the area and my ability to be able to identify children that might have dyslexia um really started to kind of develop which yeah. was three years into my teaching when by all accounts you sort of considered a, a more experienced teacher you've gone through your newly qualified mm-hmm. year you've done your recently qualified year um but even still it got to that stage before I felt that I'd got you know a good you know good enough knowledge to be able to, to support children with dyslexia um so um and yeah it was it was kind of that was a quite a pivotal time in my yeah. career so was that the second school you worked yeah. at it just it blows my mind I remember saying this to you and we had the discussion um however many days or weeks ago it was mm. and when you were saying about dyslexic friendly schools I've never ever heard that before in my adult or childhood life and it just it again I probably say it blows my mind far too much but it does <laughs> I just I can't comprehend how like you can have a dyslexic friendly school but then a a non-dyslexic I don't know it just seems really like in insane you just presume it's gonna and I was saying this to my my family and my younger brother um he who's 10 for anyone that didn't listen to the episode with my dad he was like oh yeah yeah ours is a dyslexic friendly school and like they say it was so much pride and I'm I'm glad there are but to me it just I just I just oh throwing tea on the floor um I just yeah I, think, <laughs> I can't put the words to it no, that's how much but I, it stumps me I think that's part of the difficulty as well that um so I'll kind of go on to talking more about what I do now but one of my uh, main roles is as a private Jewish uh, a private tutor so mm-hmm. uh, working on a one-to-one with children in their home environment um and I'd say probably a third of the children that I work with um have got dyslexia either diagnosed yeah. or um families have noticed it or schools have, have, have noticed um things um and I don't think even as a parent that people would know when they're looking for prospective primary schools that that's something yeah to, no I wouldn't have thought for. to look out for and I don't yeah. um I'm actually gonna have to have a conversation with my mum my about it and see if that was ever anything I feel a lot of the reason my high school got picked for me which um spoken about in previous episodes and um, who were really really good um was because my my closest and best friend you know when you when you you know when you're 10 years old and yeah. you're your BFF <laughs> um back in the 90s um were was going on to that high school so I think it was more like because you you've spoken about supporting children mentally not just reading and writing mm. and I think my mum saw it was better for my my sort of mental capacity and my anxiety that I went to a school that was with with yeah. with with a, the same sort of friendship group that I had because I don't know who was I speaking to recently um oh, I can't remember who it was and I think they just all go to the same high school because it's regional it must have been my parents it must have been my stepmom and my dad mm. and if you 
I think in Scotland, you're linked, I'm sure I'll get corrected if this is wrong, <laughs> it will get linked to a primary school. So if you're at a certain primary, you will go to one-off a particular high school. Um, because I remember in my primary school, one of the lads um, went off to a completely different high school. Than he, he, he was the only one in our year group going to this high school. Mm. And that must be really a big upheaval when you're that age. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think transition is, is a big yeah. thing for, for children, for any child, um, that transition from primary oh, yeah, to secondary or first school to middle school. Um, but I think more so for children with additional learning needs, whether that's dyslexia or, or whether it's it's another learning need, um, that when you're in primary, you know, you have the same teacher for the whole year, sometimes longer than that. Yeah. Um, and they hopefully will really get to know you and really get to know what your needs are and, and how they can best support your needs. Then obviously when you're going to high school, you're having multiple different teachers, which their level of understanding of, of dyslexia and learning needs will vary. Mm-hmm. Their strategies that they put in place. So I think transition huge for any child, but for a child with additional learning needs to then be having to kind of almost educate those teachers as well because within any learning need what works for one child might not necessarily work for yeah. another so a teacher might have all good intentions that oh I, you know I've previously used this method and it was really successful but for you um, that might not work for yeah. you and, and you you know but you're not just having to kind of have that year with one teacher where you're working together to find you know the best possible outcomes and, and the best way to support you you've then got to kind of juggle that with you know lots of different teachers um as well as all the other challenges that come with with kind of adjusting to high school so yeah and I, and I think I feel bad as well now because I think I've been putting teachers on a bit of a pedestal that, that I presumed they would all understand dyslexia and they should all understand and should's the wrong word like it like you like you say there is there's so much you, you it's it's like anything mm. you I can't even get into words, kind of like what I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, thinking of, is that like there's that much training out there that mm. dyslexia is just one small speck of yeah. so much other types of training. But I just, you just, I just presumed if you were a teacher, you would know mm. how to deal with dyslexic students, and that's just not the case. And that's a shame. Yeah. But I'm understanding it more now, speaking to people like yourself and one of my friends from uni is now a teacher, and yeah. like she. Six day weeks and working till seven, eight o'clock at yeah. night, marking yeah. and like no wonder you don't have time for additional training. And when you yeah. do have time for additional training, I don't suppose it's probably going in <laughs> quite no. as well as it should be either. Without not in a, like a judgmental or a mean way no. of saying that, it's just. I think we spoke about that on the conversation yes, that we I did, said. Yeah. Although in the first school, I do remember doing training. Um, it was quite often at the end of a school day <laughs> where they're delivering what should be delivered in you know a whole day in set but right. they're having to kind of condense it down so they only really can kind of briefly touch the surface you know there's no way in an hour and a half mm. that you can be taught how to support um what is a very broad spectrum of, yes, of dyslexia yeah, yeah. um whereas and really it was just luck that the school that I went to, it wasn't something as a teacher that I specifically looked for for my professional development. Probably now, if I was to go back into teaching, I'd be 
I'd know what to look for on a school's website for me as a professional, right. what support and what um, kind of um, CPD, that mm-hmm. kind of professional development for me, I'd know that if they're a dyslexia-friendly school, that I was going to be getting additional training. Okay. You get refresher training every year or every couple of years. I can't remember what it was. Um, but yeah, probably something for those going into a, a teaching career yeah. that I'd say when you're looking at schools' websites to kind of think about what schools you you want to apply for um that that's something to look out for because it as i say it was just luck that the second school i went to was a dyslexia friendly school um which helped me hugely um with getting additional training and understanding what resources to use and what strategies to use um but it, it is just a shame that that's not that it's not you know that's not the case for all teachers no no I mean, it, yeah it's very and it's, it's the same for students it's very look of the draw as to mm-hmm. which school you end up teaching in or which school you end up attending mm-hmm. as to kind of how much support and how much training um that you'll get in dyslexia or or other other areas of learning need as well yeah so. yeah it's, it's sounding more common than i realize because it um from the episode i did with my dad i've had other people get in contact with me wanting to share their struggles and stories with um schools and stuff so it it doesn't sound like mine was a special case which is sad really yeah <laughs> it's like I kind of wish mine was a special case because I like to be special and um, no because, because, <laughs> because it means that other children are struggling and I'm just really glad that both my mum and dad were quite persistent in my getting my diagnosis and getting me support yeah um but I I want to hear about more about you as a teacher and having to deal or learn about dyslexia yeah. so your, your second school how did that how, how did that sort of go for you then with becoming a teacher and not not becoming a teacher being a teacher and dealing with because did you say you um you had a dyslexic, or what you know you thought was a dyslexic student in your class. Yeah, so um, for most of my career, I've worked in key stage one, so that's okay. children um, from age five to seven. Um, and the, I don't want to say the difficulty of working with that age in relation to dyslexia, but I suppose it is really, um, is that a lot of the traits that are dyslexic traits are quite common for that age group okay so it's in a way it's even more challenging to be able to distinguish what is a dyslexic trait and what is just common for that particular age group right um so um but i think because i spent a lot of time working in key stage one that i kind of got to develop my knowledge of, okay, tune of it yeah that's that's mm. quite common for a child of five to be reversing those letters um and i can see you know that you know over the lap of the year it's reducing or actually for me to be able to see um that this is persisting now and, I, and i'm not seeing the improvements that i would expect to see okay. in another child of the same age um so I was working in year two at the time, um, which um, the year two students have SATs, have the SATs assessments. Um, and probably the pivotal moment in, in my career, um, and I think something that I've mentioned to you that ultimately was a big driving force for me actually deciding to leave the classroom. Right. Amongst other reasons, it, it wasn't solely to do with that, but I think because I'm so passionate about working with children with special educational needs and wanting to do everything I can to support them, um, this particular um, 
kind of year um I just felt that although I was doing everything that I could that I didn't feel that the education system was was in return and and a kind of bit of a battle and a challenge that I had then with my own morals and my own beliefs mm-hmm. uh, that I didn't feel that the job and that the education system necessarily mirrored mirrored that anymore okay. um so I had a young man that joined um my class um not at the start of the year it was sort of midway through the year but still I think it was still quite early within the school year sort of like possibly October um and every day when he came in um he'd get upset which is quite common when a child moves yeah. schools and you know they've you know the friendship groups that you know they don't have that support network there and they're young so it's a big thing um but normally you'd expect over you know a week or a couple of weeks um that they'd become less upset and that they'd adjust and for this particular child, it just wasn't the case. He was just coming in and, and it was it was traumatic for, for his mum because she was having to sort of hand him over, crying, and, and it was difficult for me because I thought, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Um, and then, I'd then go and ring his mum and sort of let her know at break time, everything's okay now. So I was trying to do everything I could, but it just got to the point where I just thought, there's something else here that, that's upsetting him. Um and because then I'd worked with him for a couple of weeks, I'd mm-hmm. started to notice that he was having difficulties with his reading and his writing. Um, so I rang the previous school um, because there's obviously you get information handed over, but it, t- it takes time. Um, so it's normally probably quite a few weeks in before you get information. Um, and interestingly, it's not common practice to have a conversation with the teacher that they were previously at in the school. Oh, really? You oh, just normally get information sure? on paper. And I suppose as well, <clears throat> although he joined your year slightly later, for anyone, I don't think I've got many people that listen outside the UK, but we normally start in September, don't we? Mm. If they, and if you started October, it's really the year one teacher that would have had more knowledge about him than the current yeah. year two teacher at his previous school, wouldn't yeah. it? So, Absolutely. Um, so did you get that conversation with so I, that was me. I, yeah, I that was all your like. Yeah, so that was the school. I didn't, the school that. didn't no, ta- my right. school that I was working at didn't tell me to do that. Um, the school that he'd came from hadn't contacted me. So I rang and spoke to his previous teacher. The it was the year one teacher, with it being um, quite soon on in the year. And I just said, oh, you know, he's, he's still quite upset. And I've noticed that he's having some difficulties with his reading and writing, copying from a board. Um, and I sort of said, although I will state I'm not a dyslexia specialist, I'm not a dyslexia assessor. So I, um, I'm, I'm not sort of able to diagnose or, but I can certainly spot traits. I've, I've had enough experience of working yeah. with children. Um, so I basically said, you know, was did you notice these things? Had had you got any? Um, did you speculate dyslexia at all? And the previous teacher said, no, no, I haven't noticed anything. And um, so, but what I then decided to do because I was quite sure that that's what it was, um, I actually switched the maths and the English lesson. Right. Because the English lesson used to be first, so he'd come straight in, um, and the first thing we'd do is the English lesson. So I thought, okay, if it is the English, if, if there is perhaps underlying dyslexia here, if I switch the maths and the English, will that have an impact? Um, and and it did. Um, when I switched the lessons, he was coming in, he was much more happy, much more relaxed. Oh, fantastic. Um, and so that's then when I started to kind of link that it's not just the difficulties in reading and writing he's got the emotional element of dyslexia as well that he's getting the anxiety when he knows that he's got to come in and do this lesson um i um 
obviously his mum noticed a difference in his emotional how he'd settled emotionally okay. but she was very aware academically as well um that things weren't quite right um but as i said because i'm not able to diagnose i'd got to be very careful about actually saying to the parents oh have you you know have you ever wondered if he's got dyslexia it's like you can't say the d word yeah. you can't plant the seed yeah right, okay i think the other frustrating thing about that which again like leads on to one of my reasons of leaving education um was another reason why i had to be very careful about saying anything is because as soon as you make a parent aware that you think that their child might have a learning need okay. that parent rightly so is going to want to know okay well what support can you put in place what are you going to do about what it, are you going to do yeah, about yeah. it? And, and that's from the parent's perspective and for that child's best interest absolutely that's completely right but the issue there is that there isn't the funding in schools there's not the you know additional I had a teacher's assistant but just for the morning um, and they're very stretched they're trying to do a million and one different things and so as far as one-to-one intervention which um, for children with dyslexia that is what they need um, for some of the most successful um, intervention programs do need to be delivered quite often on on a one-to-one basis that schools just haven't got the capacity to be able to do that and and that's not you know with any disrespect to the schools mm-hmm. again that's the education system and funding and uh, that could be a whole different discussion in itself in general isn't it yeah um, it's funny actually I remember having a lot of one-to-one help at high school and obviously my dad noticed a massive change in me yeah. so that obviously um and we said you're going to do some interventions on me, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. going to yeah. do another, another <laughs> podcast. Yeah, this, isn't, this isn't the first or last time <laughs> Jenna's going to be here. Um, I don't know if I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> but um, no, it'd be quite interesting actually to yeah. see kind of how, how they work. Um, um, okay, so you've got this young lad in your class. Mm-hmm. You can't mention <laughs> the D word. The D word. Um, so how did the rest of the year program? I'm obviously presuming you stayed for the yeah, you were there for the yeah, year. Was that, you? Yeah, was that your last year in, um, in full time? That was uh, yeah. That was my last full year in in that particular school. Um, so. I, uh, his mum, quite luckily, his mum, obviously, as I've said, she knew that something academically, um, he was struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and she got a private tutor involved who was, I think it was a previous head of a school, which some teachers might sort of be worried about that. Um, yeah. But actually, I thought this is great because this is going to be somebody else that can say what I can't say. Uh, okay. Because they're not because linked to this massive school. grin yeah. on face, like, she so got a private yeah. teacher. It was great. I think some, I think some teachers sometimes take it offensively that when parents get a tutor that yeah. you, you know they're not happy with what the class teacher's doing but it that's quite often not the case it, sometimes yeah. it might be but I think people just want the best for the children yeah. and you are um, like year groups are just getting bigger as well yeah. like yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure my friend who's primary school teacher at one point she was um, a year four teacher but year four was split into two year so there was two year four teachers yeah it's just like they, the classrooms are um the class sizes are massive now yeah. so like yeah I suppose if you've if you've got if you've got the money to maybe support your child this that way it. then fantastic but then it's sad for the yeah the people that that can't and mm. I sometimes wonder like I think this is coming from the conversation we had over the phone like what happens if because maybe this will be maybe I'm branching down a full other topic really <laughs> aren't I about because um, about hereditary and about yeah. if then you're a parent who's dyslexic and then can't see your child struggling and yeah. then so but maybe this yeah. is I feel like this, this we could we could go down we a could. whole rabbit hole couldn't we really yeah um, um so 
did this private tutor then so, yeah. eventually the, um, <laughs> say the D word? This private tutor um, said the D word to the parents. Um, the parent then came in to me and sort of said, oh, you know, you know I've got the private tutor involved, um, which as I was saying, although some teachers might see that as a criticism, me personally, I want the best for that child. Um, and actually I appreciated that I couldn't give him the one-to-one time that a private tutor would. So that I just wanted what was best for him. So I was overjoyed when the parent got a tutor involved. Um, so she came in at the end of the day and said, oh, the private tutors mentioned um, dyslexia. What would your thoughts be? And I, I said, I said, I'm so glad that you said that because because I'm not qualified to diagnose and because of, you know, school reasons, I, you know, I've got to be very careful about planting the seed. Yeah. Um, but yes, from what I've seen, I, you know, I, I do feel um, that, that it, you know, that he is showing dyslexic traits. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um we put provision in place and the school was brilliant as soon as I as the class teacher but obviously I raised that said I I, I do think he's got dyslexia mum's got a tutor who's kind of mirrored that um he did have some intervention um that was a computer program called Nessie um so he did actually yeah he did you probably I don't know how long it's been about because (laughs) quite a while (laughs) oh okay because obviously I've not like I left primary school in 2000 yeah oh wow (laughs) I'm not great at maths, but we're in 2020, so I've just managed to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. Damn. <laughs> um, oh, so we... Because obviously, sat, yeah, sat year as well. Yeah, so so we put... He did the Nessie programme. I um, spent some time in Assembly Times doing another intervention, and I know that's going to be a separate podcast as well. Um, what, put a pin in it. Yeah, on a one-to-one called Toe by Toe. Um, so he did. he did probably get as much support really as a lot of other children would get but that was just because the school was a dyslexic friendly school mm-hmm. that I'd got that kind of particular interest and, and really that knowledge of this would be an appropriate intervention um but I'd always got in the back of my mind that he was going to be doing a SATs at the end of the year and I felt very uneasy about that because um as I've said academically in his IQ he was one of the most intelligent children in that class you know on the carpet he was the first one with his hand up he was like a sponge he, he just remembered things and but I knew that the the way that the test system was it wasn't mm-hmm. going to reflect that and despite the fact that with all of his initial um you know apprehensions when he came to school and and the barriers that he'd had to overcome that he was going to have to sit his test at the end of the year and it, it wasn't going to reflect his ability it wasn't going to reflect the hard work that he'd put in um but it was something that he he had to do and something that as the teacher I had to administer which I felt very uneasy about um I did everything that I could to get him the support with the assessments so I arranged for him to have a one-to-one with him um and Although in the reading paper, the one-to-one can't read the paper for them because no, ultimately it is. Yeah, yeah. I but in the, that, yeah. the maths paper, um, the reader can read the questions or part of the questions um, to them. But it was more for his emotional support that I just knew that he's going to sit and, and look at this page of text that he's got to read um, and that it was just going to be so demoralising for him. Um, so I, that was the main reason that I wanted that support there. But again, that's only because I pushed for that, and I, yeah. and I, you know, I asked for that. Was he in a separate room then? Um, he wasn't in a separate room. Um, because I wanted to kind of see how it went first. Right, okay. Um, but I, I think we may have done for one of the next assessments because based, I think the first one was the reading one. Um, and he just broke down. 
because he was trying to read yeah, this page and I think he, he knew and, and he could tell that he was finding it really difficult and then he knew he'd got all these questions to answer on what he was trying to read um, and it was just heartbreaking. Yeah. It was so heartbreaking as a teacher to see and, and that was really my breaking point. I thought, I can't do this anymore. I can't watch a child give 110% all year um, you know, and then have to sit this test and and emotionally what he must have been going through um and so then it was um that summer that I kind of spoke to my parents and said I I, I know I don't think I I want to be teaching in a classroom anymore Mm -hmm. um it's just such a shame because you're obviously so passionate about being a teacher and I'm like I'm trying not to well up here (laughs) we're both like you we're getting box tissues out in a minute um because when like like if I, I was really lucky that I did have lots of passionate teachers and special needs teachers and supports and classrooms mm. assistants. But unfortunately, I'm not. I'm not saying that just because. I'm not saying not all teachers are like that, and it's no. not because they don't care or they're not good at the job. But sometimes there is that. I don't know what quality it is that just seems to be in you that I see so strongly that I didn't see in all my teachers in yeah. all my education. And I think that's 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 really key because. that's another reason why I decided to leave when I did because I thought I am still passionate I do even don't want to be what these people yeah but I think that's part of it is that people get so kind of beaten down by the education system and the lack of support and the amount of hours that you have to put in to feel that you're doing the best job you possibly can that I think sometimes the only way you can get through is by getting to that point where you're just doing what you've got to do because you know and and I was really aware that I didn't want to get to that point yeah. um so I thought I need to t- I need to step back and and kind of explore other routes um before I get to that stage mm-hmm. um so I I left the classroom and decided to do a master's um in psychology not in education okay um and part of my reasons for that choice was because um in all the time I'd done a, a BA a four-year BA degree in education um that I didn't feel like I'd got enough understanding of of special educational needs and learning needs whereas the masters had got specific modules on um, autism and ASD um and it got a language and literacy unit um which I I did as part of my master's um which helped me even more it was very much focused on um one of the assignments I could choose to do mm-hmm. take it in the direction that I chose and I did it on dyslexia and looked at different interventions um that have been used um so I did my um my master's and while I was doing that I continued to do private tuition um which I absolutely loved because it took me back to being able to work on a one-to-one and working in the home environment so I don't I'm not restricted to what I can say because of um yeah school support yeah. not being there I can I was on the other side of things almost yeah. I can say oh you know I, I think that there's signs of dyslexia or, or you know whatever it is um and supporting the parents and the child and, and doing ultimately what's best for that child um so continue to do private tuition uh, and still and still do now um and I also work for an educational charity that's focused on literacy as well so um I'm still able to do everything that I love and still use kind of my um training in in education um but in a way where I'm directly supporting families and, and children um and and I do still do some work in schools but but I'm not sort of solely focused yeah. there yeah so. no it's it, it must be nice being able to work with the children in their own environment yeah they're probably a lot 
Karma and um, we're joined now by Scrappy in case you can hear like <laughs> the baby rhino that's just come into the room. I'm so glad he picked the toy up that the squeak is broken in. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that 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 must be nice. and it's and it's it obviously works now where you want. Like, do you think you'd go back into a school now? Or is, is that like, is that a little bit like how long's a piece of string or yeah. like, you know, if there's a pandemic tomorrow, what would you do? <laughs> there, are, there are certain parts of teaching that I really miss. Um, mm-hmm. And interestingly, the, the school that I used to work for um, are doing a Leavers video for their year six children. It's the last cohort that I taught there and they asked me just to do a little message for Aww. them. So I was kind of looking back at old lesson plans um, and... Yeah, it, it brought so much, so many happy memories yeah. back. Um, and the actual in-class working with the kids, the teaching, the kind of creative side of planning these wonderful experiences for them, um, I do really miss. But I think the things I don't miss, unfortunately, outweigh the things yeah. that I do miss. Um, and I don't think a lot's changed, really, since I left the classroom, what was it, three years ago, fully. Um, I don't think a lot's changed. I think if things, if I could see a change... Um, I might, I, I might at some point yeah. decide it was right to go back, but um, certainly for the moment, um, yeah, it's 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 not something that I'm I'm planning on. I suppose the good thing is at least you left something that you were passionate about and enjoyed, and now you're equally in something. Like because yeah. I remember like, um, so without going into too much detail of it, because I, I don't think it's really. Um, relevant for the podcast I used to primarily work as a prop maker and a scenic artist but after like an accident I couldn't do that full-time anymore so I started doing more of the yoga and as I said in the first episode previously trained as a lifeguard um which was stressful (laughs) (laughs) um but and I remember saying to my dad I feel really sad about it and he was like yeah but how many people do you know leave one job they love and are passionate about and enjoy and then they go into something else they're equally passionate and enjoy so I suppose and I actually don't think we were built to do the same or maybe you do the same sort of branch or the same sort of branch tree area Most of my friends say, Kirsty, you change your job every other week. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with you. That's me now calling myself a multi-hyphen educator. Yeah, but I don't think we're built just to do the no. same thing from from when we leave. Well, because when do you leave education? Um, you, 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 you can either leave... Um, you know, university at 21, like I did, or 22, or you can even be later, can't you, depending on what you did, gap years or all that. If From from 21 years of age to... When when do you, when when are we allowed to retire? 17. <laughs> That's a long time to do the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I do think it's quite nice to be able to branch out and do different things, yeah. even if it, it, it's just only a little bit different. I think you, you learn about yourself. Like, so for me with teaching... I did that initial oh, that's experience. Got a in it. Right, let's just take that away. Leave. I um. <laughs> the leave, leave the teddy. Um. Yeah. So I did that initial experience working as a learning support assistant, and, and that sort of started the seed of, of that interest of working with special educational needs. Um. And that's that's not something when I was training that I particularly you know really wanted to focus mm. on. It's something that I've learned along the way in working on a one-to-one basis with tuition with children with dyslexia. Um, that that's made me sort of really um, have a passion for language and literacy, which then led to my masters, which has now led to a lot of the work that I do now. And and actually, 
looking into doing a um, dyslexia specialist teacher um, training. Right. Uh, the difficulty with that is I would have to self-fund um, and it's quite expensive. Um, but that then leads on to a, another debate really is schools aren't going to be able to afford to train teachers to be dyslexia, dyslexia specialists. Right. Individuals quite often can't afford to self-fund that. Um, <laughs> so, so where are all these dyslexia specialists yeah, meant to and, come from? <laughs> and interestingly, quite often on when I'll see um, dyslexic people that have had dyslexia assessment, Mm-hmm. it will recommend um, having a dyslexia specialist teacher involved and a lot of the interventions oh. that they'll suggest would need somebody that has is, is you know done training or understood them um, but there's not many dyslexia specialist teachers out there um, the ones that are are obviously quite expensive um, dyslexia specialist tutors because they've obviously had to put in investment in doing that additional training yeah yeah um so even still even if you go and have a dyslexia assessment and they produce a report to say what you need to support your individual profile as, as a dyslexic um, person or individual but then there's not going to be the, the support yeah. there in school or or no and I can remember when we yeah. had this conversation over the phone and you and you were like I don't I also don't want to price people out of yeah. my my support and it's such a shame because like anyone like obviously I teach yoga and I go out and I I get, what, what do you call it like extra training like CPD CPD yeah development yeah. And, 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 and I often pay for that myself I'm mm. self-employed I fund that and I do it um, and I do it more for myself because I'm passionate. Like it sounds like you are about mm-hmm. learning more about it. But I can't imagine going to my students like, <laughs> um, you know, now your class is going to be fifteen pounds because I now can also teach Yin Yoga. <laughs> yeah. Like everyone would be like, no, I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, but but then I, but then also I get why you know if you've got more not oh, it's such a catch twenty two, is. isn't it? Yeah. And I don't really. I'm not very good at sort of would you call it economics about our area and the the class of area and the people like i wouldn't say stoke is a particularly mass fluent yeah yeah yeah. but um like it's it's definitely not one of the worst areas in the country for for supporting some things but yeah i don't i can't see how parents in stoke would have that extra or staffordshire would have that extra money to then pay extra for the yeah, yeah I think the other one of the other people I'm having coming on the podcast that had to then pay for her daughter's test and like I've got no much a dyslexic test cost but yeah. it doesn't sound like it's cheap no well interestingly that's something I, I, I didn't mention with the story of the young man that I worked with and um, that although um, the parent was aware that that there was you know possibly dyslexia there the school were aware and putting intervention in um that there's some, sometimes this attitude with schools that when they they know oh well we know that child's got dyslexia well what's the point in doing the test from right. a school perspective because of the money implication of it um and that's where when you've talked about your um dad uh, your dad and stepmom and your mum being such great advocates and really kind of that battle and that fight to get you the support Aww. um that you needed um and i when i was um moving on to the next year group i had a meeting with this parent um, and 
whether I should or shouldn't I basically said to her you're going to need to fight for this um they they generally won't assess in key stage one anyway so I said there's no point pushing for an assessment now because a lot of the traits are common for that interesting so I didn't know that yeah it's normally end of lower key stage um, well I did say you know it because I know that my stepmom and dad are wondering whether my my dyslexia whether my brother's got um maybe underlying dyslexic Mm. traits but until he is in a certain it's, it's different in Scotland it's not year one year two it's p1 p2 or whatever yeah. same age group but i didn't realize that they flip in and things yeah. were, weren't just like were yeah. quite common when you're just maybe learning to read and yeah stuff, yeah my nephew has uh, something called erlen's and um, which has got a similar similar traits and, and and displays itself quite similar to dyslexia um and we did get him tested when he was in key stage one um but all it can do is give like an indication so it'll say how at risk you are of potentially right. whereas as they get older you can get a definitive yes it is dyslexia no it's not um but i no. <laughs> someone's trying to play fetch with us while we're trying to record <laughs> um but yeah i i sort of said to this parent you are going to need to fight for this and um, so you know when he does go into key stage two when he does because re- it was first school middle school he was going to be moving on after year four to another school and i said right. what you don't want to happen is them to kind of pass it on to the next school yeah and then you know the delay i said you'll need to push and fight to get a dys- dyslexia um, assessment done because then that determines what support they get and when they do assessments making sure that they get a reader and um but it's just a shame that as yeah. i said it is that fight and that battle to get it it isn't just a given even though it's you know very well known that that child you know that a school knows that it's quite quite well this you know it, it looks quite clear that they've got dyslexia yeah and it's just, and even with that being a dyslexic friendly school you think yeah well obviously it's good that they did the interventions and they supported yeah. him and it looked like he did get some support but yeah. even then they were like well we're not going to test him though and again, <laughs> yeah and again on them that's that's no sort of disrespect no it doesn't like, yeah it's funding yeah it, it's 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 all about funding and and but it, you know it shouldn't it shouldn't be that expensive that a school you know yeah uh, know, like, why is it that expensive but the amount of parents from the ones that i work with from a tuition perspective i don't know of any children that have had an assessment done through school it's all oh been... really oh wow that's like even quite an interesting yeah. sadistic sadistic yeah that word <laughs> in itself yeah um I'm gonna dig out my report and read through it with my my friend that I was at primary and high school with, um, because I think it'd be quite interesting to to look back yeah. on. Yeah. Um, I think the dogs have now <laughs> decided that this should be the end of the episode. I think they've timed that well before they get any more. Sort of Milo's yeah. getting his chest tickled by Jenny here, <laughs> and every time she stops, he squeaks. Scrappy has had the squeaky toy taken off him and has now found the throw rope and keeps throwing it at me. Um, so I think that's um, our cue to, to end. But... Yeah. It definitely won't be the last time I have a conversation with you. At least I hope it isn't. No, I don't, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. And, and yeah. I think because it is something that I'm so passionate about, it, it's nice to be able to share those experiences. And, and if that in any way helps, if it resonates with people, um, if people listen to it and want any advice or support, then please feel free to get in touch with Kirsty. I'm, I'm more than happy. Mm. As I say, I'm not 
trained as a specialist teacher, um, although it is something I hope to do. Um, but I have worked with a lot of you know a lot of children with dyslexia and, and picked up some tricks and tools with the theory that I've done along the way. Um, so yeah, and I think even if it like I just hope this podcast, if anything, is just reassurance, whether that's for a parent of a dyslexic youngster mm. or whether it's someone that is trying to get through young adult life with dyslexia. Yeah. Um, I think it is just reassurance that mm. you're not it's Absolutely. it's not just happening to you. Like yeah. my my diagnosis story sounds very similar to other people's. Mm. Um and yeah, like like you say, just even if it's just sound of it. And I just want to be educated as well mm. in it. So I'm not sure which one we're going to do, which one we're going to do next. Maybe we should do the intervention one next. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, or, or, or if the listeners, if they've got something... Yeah, like they anything go, wants, they yeah, kind of want us to discuss and, and talk with. Because I definitely prefer the episodes where I've got someone to talk to. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like... Yeah, I'm just talking at my uh, <laughs> at my device. No, it, 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 I think it, it helps when there's actually a conversation. And as mm. I say, I've learned so much from talking from from yourself and my dad, like yeah. that I didn't even really realise. Um, and I think that'd be interesting when I have the conversation with my friend Sam, and um, because I think I've repressed a lot of memories from primary mm. school. Which, from talking with you over the phone, doesn't sound like it's that uncommon. Scrappy, that's not your coat. <laughs> right, he's, he's getting Jenna's coat. He wants me to go. Out the door. Brilliant. No, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you and, for having me. Uh, yeah, I'll be back soon. you so much for listening and obviously a huge thank you to Jenna for joining me on this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed the conversation with Jenna and I'm really looking forward to future episodes with her. As discussed if you'd like to get in contact with Jenna then you can find her on her Facebook page at Educational Lee. If I've said that wrong or remembered it wrong all the information will be in the description for this episode. As always, feel free to follow, rate, subscribe, all the good stuff that gets this episode out there, this podcast out there, and it's out there that it's KO to be dyslexic.